Good morning and welcome to the original Loretta Brown show. La la. <laughs> radio, to, <laughs> radio to open the heart, heal the soul, and awaken the consciousness. I think I told you this once, Benny, that, you know, I'm the seventh of eight children. Yes. My father had nicknames for all of us because his joke was he couldn't remember our names. Too many of us, right? So my nickname was The Mouth. Yeah. Yep. The Mouth. Or the singing, <laughs> the singing one. I did sing about everything. I was one of those hummers or those la la little girls. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I have to tell you that I remember so many times being told that I couldn't hum, like in school. I don't know why you can't hum. You should be able to hum. but Well, it could be obviously a little distracting. <laughs> it could be. To, to the teachers and those hard at work trying to push us forward into our future. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I usually do it in the elevator and people looking at me funny too. And they're like, oh, yeah, he must be on the fifth floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, oh, always yeah. moving up there. Always moving. Always yeah, well, moving. and that was part of it too. I was a wiggler. You know, I was wiggly. Yeah. And... um I always thought they should let me lay on the floor to do uh, the studies. So I'm one of those girls. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Or run around and then come back and so do. You have a lot of energy. You know, do some math and then run around yeah. and you know do some stuff. Anyway, it's uh, <laughs> do some stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Squirrel. Right? <laughs> totally right. <laughs> so if you've got a child like that or you were like that, just realize you're not alone in this world. And uh, I am a. a I was raised by educators, right, uh, teachers and and uh, superintendent and things like that. So education was a big deal in my family, right. and it's kind of one of my little hobby horses about how we educate children. So anyway, now that, that raised your ears and you're like, what is she talking about? See, again, that's probably why they didn't want you to be humming or singing I know. in class. <laughs> you're going up against people just like your parents. I was, I was, Next. yeah. By the way, I do love education. I'm a, I'm what's called the lifelong learner, and I can never get over it. It's like oh, there's another book, and I'm a book girl, so yeah. constantly I, absorbing. Uh-huh. Yeah, I always have like 15 books that I'm reading at the same time. It's one of those things. So anyway, for all you people writing books, thank you so much. And I have a, a, a another great author on my show again uh, today. Well, I'm going to introduce her in a minute. So. These shows, by the way, are all archived. You can download them for free anytime. The original Loretta Brown show is on Podcast One. Woohoo! And it's on SoundCloud. Yep. And it's in the KKNW files. And we have YouTubes and all kinds of stuff. I like it. You're in the files. Like I'm, you're an FBI file. I'm in or the something. files. You're in the files. You're I probably leaving. am. <laughs> <laughs> I think I am too. I think I was abducted as a child. Never mind. That's a different story. All right. So uh, I'm the owner of Reiki Oasis, located right here in the greater Seattle area since, believe it or not, not 1995. I've got a couple of things this month. Crystal Bowl Healing Concert is this coming Sunday, December 15th at 7.30 p.m. Get your tickets at Bala Yoga in Kirkland. One of my uh, clients uh, wanted to know if I was going to do the Sacred Cacao again, and yes, I am. So we'll do sacred cacao and crystal bowls and a meditation, and it's really a lovely time, so come on out. You can wear yogurt clothes, and you can uh, bring your water and bring your crystals for clearing and charging, and bring yourself for clearing and charging, because that's really what it's all about. Uh, Saturday, December 21st, Temple of the Divine Feminine, and that is the winter solstice. We will be doing a special celebration, as well as a celebration of the seizing season and the birth of light. So uh, sign up for that at schedule.reikioasis.com. And I also have my end of the year despachos and prayer bundles, December 26th or 27th at 7 p.m. in the evening. A great way to let go of the energies of 2019. <sighs> Wipe your forehead and 2020. Perfect vision is coming up. More like shovel it up and <laughs> throw it out. That's what I'm looking at. I, I think this is going to be a big one. Large mountains of <laughs> shoveling. You know, we, we do this Stuff. sacred ceremony and everybody puts um, offerings in mm-hmm. and, and then I wrap it up and, and burn it in a sacred fashion. And I have to tell you, Benny, sometimes that fire is very odd, very strange. I think look at a bonfire for me. Like, <laughs> massive. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Sometimes it burns right away, and occasionally it it it's very strange how mm-hmm. it burns. It's yeah. it's it's got some stuff going on. Um, 
uh, kind of, I'm getting down to not quite the last call for Egypt, but I'm close. Uh, we are going there February 19th to March 4th, and I still have two positions, two seats available. If you want to go to Egypt with me, sacred trip with a beautiful small group of select travelers. Yes, we will be on a private yacht for part of the time. And um, email Loretta Brown at ReikiOasis at gmail.com will give you the information. So I'm really, really glad to have my special guest, Penny Kelly, on the show with me again today. And we had her November 21st. Penny Kelly is a writer, a teacher, an author, publisher, consultant, and a naturopathic physician. In the late 1970s, she experienced a full kundalini awakening. She has studied the brain, consciousness, intelligence, intuition, cognition, and probably a whole lot of other things. Penny has co-written or edited 23 books with others and has written nine books of her own, maybe even more than that. And in my last interview on November 21st, Penny and I discussed in, uh, in length her book, Consciousness and Energy, Volume 4, Trump, The Sting, The Catastrophe Cycle, and Consciousness. And I refer you to that show for that information. And uh, we didn't, you know, it's only a one-hour show. I don't really have time to ask Penny all of the, the in-depth questions that I really wanted to ask her because we ended that show talking about a supernova. So I've asked Penny to come back again so that we can continue our talk. So welcome to the show, Penny. It is good to be here. <laughs> it's really good to have you. Thank you. You're welcome, and thank you. <laughs> yeah. Now, in 1997, you first published a book called Robes, A Book of Coming Changes. Mm -hmm. And in it, you describe being visited by what you call a group of little men in brown robes. <laughs> who wanted to show you some pictures. <laughs> I love saying that, by the way. <laughs> Can you, because <laughs> I'm imagining people's faces when you first came out with that. That's like 40 years ago. Could you please tell us? <laughs> they go, sure you did, Penny. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. could you please tell us about these little men in brown robes and what pictures they showed you? Um, well, I'll do my best. It is really, it was a stretch for me. And, and when I did first write the book, people were like, well, where were they? What were their names? Where were they from? I did not ask any of those questions at all. I was peeling potatoes in my kitchen, getting ready for supper. And I had this feeling that there was somebody behind me. And I turned around, and there was this group of little men in brown robes. They looked like little monks. There were seven of them, and they shone like the sun. They were just bright and shiny and cheerful, and I was not. I was crabby and tired and frustrated <laughs> because of all of the things that were going on in my perception and my consciousness due to kundalini. And my first reaction was, and, you know, what the hell? Now what? Mm -hmm. And, you know, just so frustrated because things, I kept having visions. I kept being in two places at, two places at once. All sorts of things that were not normal um, according to the way I grew up or the way I was taught or the way that I understood reality. And so the first two times they appeared, I was not very gracious. Um, and then finally they came back the third time and I said, okay, my thought was, all right, I'll look at these pictures and then they'll go away. And so they, they, that didn't happen. They kept coming back with more pictures, quote unquote, for the next two years. And the pictures were pictures of the future. And there were so many things that I saw um, they dealt with everything from government to, well, the first thing they showed me was the planet rolling around in space and the oceans splashing and, you know, just total destruction along coastlines. And, and um, I, I just didn't think that was possible, so I glossed over that. But that was the very first thing they showed me. 
And then, you know, they went into government and money and business and war. Um, they, we had um, experience. I, these weren't just pictures. These were actually scenarios, I guess, that I could step right into a lot of them and experience what was, what was happening there. Um, they talked about why things were going to change. And um, and said that we had grown past um, the structures and the institutions that we had, and that we would have to redo those. They they covered everything from sex to education to relationships to um, food and the hunger that would uh, overtake us, which I didn't like. They talked about the lost cities. I saw quite a few old cities where nobody lived anymore. Um, We lost a lot of people along the way, people that didn't want to change. Um, There were just, I had whole lessons on frequencies, how frequencies behave. Um, There was every, every aspect of life that you can imagine they covered in these visits, which were, I think there were, well, I wrote about 16 of them in the book. Um, and some of them were educational, where they were teaching me something, which I did not focus on very much. I did put the one, the lessons about frequency, some of them, mm-hmm. um, in the book. But um, they said, you know, you're you're going to have to choose an alignment, and that alignment is uh, going to be alignment with death or with life. And they said, if you don't do anything different. You're already aligned with death. You're just going to keep going in that direction. If you align yourself with life, you can learn how to become eternal beings and enter into eternal life. And I thought that was an outrageous thing. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you know, that is not how this reality works. But that is how we work as individuals um, within a reality system. And, um, you know, one of the things, as I was kind of looking through the book before, um, I think it was a couple of days ago, I found this paragraph and I thought, you know what, I'm going to mention that because there was a point where they said to me, try to pull together some of what we have shown you so far and imagine, if you can, a planet on which there are no giant cities where daily life has become a combination of old and new lifestyles. The huge, powerful institutions you once knew are gone, and in their place is a large communications network that links people all over the Earth. And they talked about that global network. They called it the global network. This was back in 1980, 81, 82, and we didn't have an Internet back then. And um, and that network, they said, would become the institution of the future. All the work would be done over that, all the communication, all the healing, all the education, uh, everything. And all the research would be collaborative over that network. And I think we're headed there. And I think, um, you know, in terms of, like, bottom lining they they said, um, you know, over the next 50, maybe to 100 years, there would be times when we were tempted to look at the world and see only violence, only destruction, only suffering. And they said, we want you to see correction instead, and that if we did not correct, we wouldn't survive. And I think about that from time to time. They said, you have to have a vision. We're showing you these things so that you will have something to hang on to when everything is falling apart. And the things that they showed me were so amazing, so inspiring. And I think, you know, robes is the perfect complement to Consciousness and Energy Volume 4 because Volume 4 says, hey, guys, this is what we're facing, and it's a massive amount of destruction and change. And then the robes were saying, hey, guys, you're the ones creating your future. Take responsibility and do it. And here's what you can create. And so those I often say to people, well, if you haven't read Robes, go read that. Right. <laughs> so, 
it kind of shores people up in terms of what we could create, what we're moving toward. It's so inspiring. It's so um, it, it's so futuristic when you think about it. And I see the threads of all of the stuff that they showed me coming slowly into into sight <laughs> and being slowly woven into the culture. And I think, yeah, it's, we're going to be okay. It's going to be all right. That is amazing information, and there's a lot in there, Penny. I'm I'm actually really glad that um, you got this information for you know almost forty years ago because I'm kind of uh, sensing from what you're saying. I'm getting that you know you've gone from maybe almost complete disbelief at these seven little men in brown robes. I mean, I'd wonder if I was woke up in a fairy tale, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, that is what Kundalini does. <laughs> is that what it does? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, life is not the same after consciousness enters into an unlimited condition. It's yeah. really a rough transition, but but there's some benefits, and this was one of them. Even though I didn't appreciate it at first, I have come to appreciate what they showed me deeply and very belatedly sent them this message that said, hey, guys, wherever you are, whoever you are, thank you. I appreciate it. Right. Yeah, and you actually stepped right into uh, my point, which is marvelous, which is that you've come a long distance with it. And I'm assuming that you have also seen some of the things they told you. Like, for instance, this uh, global network, I'm fascinated by that because you're right, back in the 1980s, we didn't have what we have now. Yeah, that's true. But you've seen things come up, come to uh, come about. I sh- I should say, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the first things that I saw was um, the Russian president who had the wine, the blood, the wine stain birthmark on his head. Um, uh, Gor- he was. I saw him, courtesy of the little man in brown robes, and he was a like a linchpin. If he didn't do what he came here to do, then none of the rest of it was going to unfold the way that they said it was going to unfold. And he did do his piece, which was to dissolve the um, the USSR. And then everything, they said that would be the first of the breakup of nations and that it would be followed by other nations. All of the nations would continue to break up and that we would move into a different kind of organization. And so I've, there was that, uh, you know, that they said um, we should be looking for. Um, it, there was just so much stuff. They talked about the kind of leaders we should look for. They said we didn't really have leaders. Um, I think what we have and have had are strong men, and strong men are not necessarily leaders. And and so they had all these qualities. A leader steps forward because they have a special skill. They lead when that skill is needed, and then they step back into being just part of the population. Oh, and that's interesting. So really, can, can you give us an idea of what 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 we should be looking for in our leaders? Um, I think probably um, one of the things that struck me back then was humility. Um, and strength, a strength of character, that was one of the things that was really pretty, um, it was pretty uh, obvious that that's not what we have now. And not to say that some of the people that we have are really not good. Um, they're really doing some wonderful things. But the, the whole business of leadership is they said it's not about getting into a position of being, quote-unquote, the boss. It's a position of coming in to do a task, doing a job or doing what needs to be done, and then moving back into doing your ordinary thing. And, and you don't, because we didn't, they said not everybody has all of the skills of leadership. They said our government had become a combination of nursemaid, savior, papa, and rich uncle, mm. and that that was not going to fly over time, that the population would become spoiled, 
and that that would be the undoing of the population because they would not be taking responsibility for themselves. Um, and they, um, they said personal responsibility would become a big issue, and, um, and that, that would be one of the things that we would see in leaders was that they took personal responsibility for making mature de- decisions, tough decisions, um, and that they wouldn't be trying to blame other people or making excuses. And, um, you know, that the leaders would try to get, um, this was one thing that made a big impression, they would try to get as many people moving towards self-sufficiency as they could, because if they weren't self-sufficient, that was another reason that we wouldn't survive as a population. And... um you know, they said the new leaders would see the collapse was coming and that people were going to suffer if they weren't prepared to take care of themselves. Um, and there were so many aspects. And they, you know, I, as I went through um, writing the book and I was recalling, because they came back 11 years later and said, write down what we showed you. And I was like, no, I, <laughs> I don't have time and I don't like that kind of book. <laughs> and, and, you know, and they talked me into it, and I, it took me about six years uh, to write it down. And I, um, as I would go back and get into an altered state in order to recall as many details as I could of that visit, and one little detail would lead to, oh, and that, yeah, they said that, and then I would remember the next and the next. And, um, and there were so many little things. Um, the one of the things that um, I saw was that leadership was very regional and populations had banded together in order to survive. Um, there, were, there was um, just a lot of struggle, a lot of fighting. Um, the, the thing that they showed me right at the start, which was the planet bobbing back and forth, that absolutely necessitated the rise of new forms of leadership. And they said, most of your leaders are going to be spiritual teachers who come along and mm-hmm. say, hey, guys, wake up, wake up. You need to be doing this and you need to be doing that. And, um, and so they said, if you're looking for the old systems of leadership, you're going to have trouble. Um, you're not going to find those kinds of institutional structures. And if you don't develop good leaders, you're going to end up with gangs running everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's not was um, it was really kind of uh, on the one hand, here's what you're headed toward. Here's what you could create over and over and over. Wow, uh, there's such an invitation in that for us to, as you say, take personal responsibility. As yeah. opposed to, uh, we want others to do it for us, or we want the government to do it for us, um, and right. I, I think that's huge. I think it's enormous. Um, also, I want to point out to the listening audience that uh, Penny Kelly uh, is my guest. Her book, Robes: A Book of Coming Changes, and and back in uh, when the robes came to you back in the late seventies, early eighties, um, <clears throat> it's my understanding that. Uh, you visited the years 2000 to 2025, and by 2021, a lot of the structures had um, were either no longer in place or were being changed. And they also took you as far out as 2413. Are those dates somewhat accurate? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. The, 20, the first 25 years of the new millennium, which is what we're in right now, they said those would be very tumultuous years, and that um, by 2021, by the end of 2021, we would recognize that there was no going back, that nothing that we used to do was working. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that, that's a long way off. That is, <laughs> you know, that was my thinking back in 1980. That's a long way from now, but here we are. And nothing much is working, and um, and I think we're headed into um, some deeper forms of chaos over the last, uh, you know, the last part of that first 25 years. 
Um, and there were, if I, you know, I don't want to upset people, but it's hard to not get upset. I was upset myself with a lot of this um, in that in the first 25 years of this um, millennium. So many things went down. Just quit working. So, you know, we were kind of ticky-tackying along with so many systems. And the ticky-tacky fell apart. And, um, you know, and it didn't matter. Some of it fell apart because it was old. Some of it fell apart because of sabotage. Some of it fell apart because people just weren't um, taking care of it the way it should have been taken care of. And... And then, you know, then massive changes started. A lot of people, they said, um, the majority of people will leave because of uh, starvation. Mm. And that really triggered me at the time. And so I have been a farmer. We grew our own food when I was growing up. We grew our own food, all of it. And, And when I left home, I left home knowing how to grow food, how to preserve food, how to freeze it, how to can it, how to prepare it in every way, shape, and form, how to get it from the hoof to the table. Um, that w- was something I couldn't wait to get away from. <laughs> I wanted to get modern. And um, now I'm looking back and thinking, ooh, I'm really glad that I know how to do that. And um, and I think that that's something that people are going to have to take a hand in helping to feed themselves, and those who do will survive. Yeah. Those who say, oh, somebody needs to do something, are going to have a rough time and may not make it. Um, and, and when I was writing Volume 4, and I was aware of the Grand Solar Minimum, and that's going to reach its peak in 2030, I believe. That what happens in a grand solar minimum is that in if you draw a line across the United States that is exactly on the Michigan Indiana border, there is the the what do you call it the knowledge that we have and the history that we have is that nothing the snow does not melt above that line north of that line. Mm-hmm. And the and right south of that line, for a ways, your crops are in danger of freezing out again and again. The snow will melt, but there are these freezes that come, and that's going to put a huge kibosh on our grain-growing regions, which we saw this this year. And I think we're going to see the first of the really drastic price rises because they said that the cost of food would become. 87 cents out of every dollar. 87 cents is a huge percentage of money, and it doesn't leave money to pay the rent or keep the electricity on or put gas in your car or even have a car. And so we're having to, we're going to have to help ourselves. That that whole thing about personal responsibility and self-sufficiency, I think, is becoming more and more clear and more and more obvious to me as we go through um, you know, this last decade has been especially revealing. So yeah. I would encourage people, learn how to grow something, yeah. anything. I, I was chuckling because I was actually raised on a on a farm, right? Our family farm, as we said. Uh-huh. And we actually grew our food and slaughtered our own animals. And I can remember, <laughs> just like you going, I'm going to the city. I've had yeah. enough of this, right? <laughs> right. And, and, yeah, now I'm listening to you, and I'm like, oh, oh back to the farm, right? <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it, we all know also that a lot of us are really unhealthy, and if we grow our own food, there's this beautiful exchange between us and the plants. You know, there's love and caring, which, that's right. um, you know, that's another part of growing your own food and, you know, kissing the earth, so to speak, sticking your hands down in there and uh touching your plants. Like I, I do a lot of work with frequency and vibration and I know they've done studies with plants that, you know, if you love them and talk to them and play sweet music, they grow. And if you play horrible music and, and yell right. at them, they, they don't thrive. So, so true. you know, and we're the same as we're the same as that. Uh, uh, we're going to take the quickest little station break. And this is Loretta Brown. Uh, my guest today, Penny Kelly, we're talking about robes. 
A Book of Coming Changes, as well as Consciousness and Energy, Volume 4. Don't go away. We're going to come right back with more information. Did you know that Reiki healing can be done at a distance? It's true. So let Reiki Oasis focus powerful energy to help relieve your stress, grief, sadness, anger, and so much more. Convenient, personalized treatments at a distance can increase lightness of being. During your appointment, find a quiet place to lie down or sit to receive healing energies. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. It's time that you are heard, and I don't mean in just a conversation. I mean really heard. Imagine hosting your very own radio program on Alternative Talk 1150. Talk about being heard. Call 425-653-1150 right now to learn how affordable it can be to host your own radio show. Time slots are going fast, so take hold of this chance by dialing 425-653-1150. Alternative Talk, we have an opportunity waiting just for you. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. Or if that resume was from someone who... Worked 12-hour shifts at the recycling company with my dad, who's 72. That taught me a work ethic that I carry with me every day. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone. Growing up where I did, a lot of things could have gotten in the way of my goals, but I learned to push through, and that's what I bring to work every day. So maybe it's time we look beyond the resume and look to grads of life. Discover new ways to develop great talent that are so much more than what's on paper at gradsoflife.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to the original Loretta Brown Show with my special guest, Penny Kelly, author of Robes, A Book of Coming Changes. And we are having a beautiful, fascinating conversation about what happened when seven little men in brown robes came and talked to her. And her book, by the way, Robes, A Book of Coming Changes, you really should get it and read it as well as Consciousness and Energy, Volume 4, as well as any of her other books, to really understand what we're talking about because the robes lay out so much information about what is happening currently and to come in the future. Now, in in your books, didn't you write about a visit to another Earth in one of your books, Penny? Yeah, I did. Um, Actually, in the very beginning of Kundalini, I ended up going to these three beings of light came and got me, actually, um, took me to um, an, another place. And and it was quite the journey. I mean, I was, I, I would put myself to bed. I would end up, you know, not sleeping. When kundalini occurs and consciousness awakens fully, you don't sleep anymore. You don't sleep. And so I was awake for three years. Um, but I would still put my body to bed, and then I would end up sliding out of it and sitting up on the roof for the whole night, waiting for the body to wake up, because I was not familiar with out-of-body experience or metaphysical stuff or any of that. And I was afraid to go anywhere because I didn't know, really, that I could, and I didn't I didn't want to lose my body. I was afraid I would get lost from it. Oh, yeah. And so I would sit there on the roof, and these three beings came and got me, and they pulled me along. Um, they took me by the hand. It was like kind of like being electrocuted, but they pulled me along, and we traveled at this amazing rate of speed. Um, and I thought we were traveling through the galaxy because it looked kind of like a Star Wars kind of thing with light streaking by, you know, at warp speed kind of thing. Yeah, I could hear and, the music. <laughs> um, and then we landed on this planet, and it was an amazing place. It was beautiful. It was clean. There were people there. They were healthy. They were, nobody was depressed. There was no anger. There was no trash. There was nothing falling apart, nothing that was old and and uh, decrepit. There were no wars. There was nothing except people who were um, excited to be alive, 
happy to be in communication with one another. Most of that communication was telepathic. And I ended up going there three different times. And afterwards, the thing that I could not reconcile was that when I was there, I knew that this was a place that looked exactly like the earth. And I was thinking, how could that be? And I didn't really have any answer for that until I started writing Volume 4 and and realized, oh, my gosh, I was trying, I was thinking, isn't there someplace we can go? Maybe, you know, the only answer we have, the only solution is to expand consciousness and maybe we can go to some other world. And that's when it dawned on me that I had already been to some other world and that it was just like Earth, and it had all the same topography and geography and people and buildings and, you know, grass and trees and flowers and sunshine and what have you, and um, and that I had gone there courtesy of these beings of light for reasons that I didn't know, and I think now the reason they came and got me was so that I would know that another place is open and available for us to go to. And that, you know, that was one of those jaw-on-the-floor kind of moments um, when when I realized, wow, I think I've already been there. I think that's probably what that was about. I figured out a lot of stuff in, in my research with consciousness. That was one of the things that I had not figured out. Why did that happen? What was the point? What was the lesson? You know, what was I supposed to understand or learn from that? But I think that that is what I was supposed to learn, was just to be able to know, okay, there is another place. It exists. And there was um, a woman that I knew very, very slightly. I met her at a meeting. Um, her name was Land, <clears throat> excuse me, Landy Hurd, H-U-R-D, and she has written a book called uh, Beyond the Sky, maybe? I'm not sure I've got that title right. But um, she had been picked up by ETs over the course of her lifetime, and she was married and had children one night when she um, was awakened and asked to come down to the front door. And she did and opened the door, and there on the porch were three beings from uh, one of the ships, from another civilization. And they picked her up, they took her on board a ship, and they showed her this awful scene of something going on in the sky. And they said to her, there's going to come a point in your lifetime when we're going to come and pick you up. We're going to come and ask you to go with us. And you're going to have two or three seconds to decide yes or no and if you say yes we're leaving immediately and there won't be time to say goodbye to husbands or children or feed the dog or even lock the house we're just going to go and and so she when she had that experience she didn't know why they would come and do that she said she didn't know what was going on with the sky but she said it was dark and cloudy and looked like it was on fire and flashes of huge, strange lightning, and et cetera. And um, she ended up just kind of having to sit with that for some years. And then a few years ago, the beings came back and said to her, would you help us um, work on this new earth? And she, she said yes, and she did. And then they came and they said, okay, it's, it's ready. Now would you help build bridges for people to get there? And she was, she and I have talked now mm. um, after a long, you know, twenty-year hiatus <laughs> of you know not really knowing one another. But I remembered meeting her, and I found her on the internet and looked her up. And we were both connected through Dr. Levengood, who I wrote about in Volume Two of that Consciousness and Energy series. And um, and so we are both now saying to one another, so how do we build these bridges? How do we get people to um, open Mm -hmm. up, wake Mm -hmm. up, take responsibility, um, make an alignment with life, begin to work toward um, a new kind of earth? 
and I, I, I don't have any answers right now, but I'm pretty sure that it's possible to, you know, just kind of keep moving in to, to kind of keep creating as if we are part of that new earth. And one of these days we're going to discover we're on it, mm. we're in it, mm-hmm. we're, we're there. And so that's the best I can say at this point. But I'm doing some research around that now, and we'll probably write about that later. There's a few things that I've already experienced that were kind of like, wow, I think this is it. (laughs) I think I'm there again. Well, you hit on so many things there. Um, uh, Yeah. It's interesting. Um, I was talking to one of my clients the other day, and she said, is there any hope for the future? And I said, I think the fact that we're being shown these things, being made aware of them, uh, there is an invitation to be, to change it, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And I think it's really important that we, you know, there's this cynical farmer side of me that poo-poos a lot of things (laughs) until I have living proof. (laughs) You know, it's like, uh uh-oh, whoops, I should have listened to that. Um, But what I'm seeing is so many things. If You know, even when I go back and read robes or think back to all the things that I saw, it's overwhelming. There's so much information that they gave me in each one of those visits. Um, I see so much of that unfolding now that it's hard to poo-poo the rest of it. It's hard to say that's impossible or that's never going to happen or that's, ridiculous. You can't really say that anymore. And we are beginning to break up as a nation. We are having all kinds of difficulties that they outlined beautifully. And so I think we need to have a heads up here and say, okay, um, what are we going to do? How? What kind of future do we want to have? You said something earlier in the show about needing to develop a, a vision or a plan that we can hang on to. Did the robes give you a vision of that new earth? In other words, when you visited the future, what what did you see? What was going on? Um, A lot. Okay. First of all, the the land was beautiful. It was a little bit different. It was shaped differently than what I'm familiar with now. But I didn't focus on that too much because there was so much to see. People had gathered into groups. Um, The robes called them family business neighborhoods. They were people who had gathered together. They weren't necessarily family. They were, you know, but they considered themselves a family. They worked together. They lived together. And they supported one another. Um, They lived in these... Uh, almost like an enclave, and they were pretty self-sufficient. They grew their own food. They had their education was over this network, and the robes did say, if that global network goes down, do everything you can to get it back up. It's a critical piece. And, and so these family groups had this Internet. They had um, just, let's just talk about education. There was a room in each house, and people didn't live in single-family houses. They lived in group homes where they shared um, some spaces, but everybody had their own bedroom and bathroom. And so there would be a room in the main house that had uh, this Internet and all this this equipment. (laughs) I wasn't familiar with it at that point. But um, people would go in the room, children as well as adults, and they would sit in these really comfortable chairs, and they would put on this headgear, and they would watch something. It was clear they were watching something. I think now what I was seeing was education was done via virtual reality. Mm-hmm. And, and they would spend maybe an hour in, with this headgear on watching, and that was the educational process. It was cradle to grave. There was no school anymore. Schools had gone by the wayside because they were too dangerous and people were not willing to send their children to school. There were, I think, 
there were some there was some resistance to school because you couldn't get into school unless you were willing to vaccinate. And the truth about vaccinations came out, and and so nobody was going to school except wow. the poorest of the poor. Um, so anyway, education was done in these little private rooms in each home. Manufacturing was done with, I think it was an, a deeply evolutionary version of the 3D printing because what they had learned to do was to um, generate frequencies that produce particles that then solidified into matter. And I did watch some of those operations. I was astounded. Uh, they could make anything. They had programs to make anything you can imagine, and they didn't need the material. Right now, the 3D printer needs some kind of material to print with. What they had discovered was that they could alter the um, frequency zone around the material they were printing with and they could get materials to stick together and work together and react together in ways that were um, that they couldn't ordinarily do. And that eventually evolved to the point where they left the material out altogether and just went with the frequencies mm-hmm. and discovered that if they could generate a dense matrix, that it would produce a plasma, and the plasma would then produce the 3D material. So that was the um, that was manufacturing. In every family, most families were two to three hundred people. There were some families that were two thousand. Um, they were much bigger, but um, most of them were smaller. And every family um, produced something that was then sold or traded over this global network. Another thing I saw was how things were shipped. Um, there were no roads. There were no cars. There were no airplanes. Um, People had uh, developed or somebody had developed this massive, I'm not sure what to call it. It was kind of like a monorail system that that went around and, and had a stop at each of these families. And there was this box that traveled magnetically on this rail system. And when the box came to your family business neighborhood, somebody would go out and they would punch some, I think it was probably it would be a, today we would call it a pin number, into the box and and a compartment would open and they would take out whatever was theirs that had been shipped to them, close it back up, you know, put the more numbers in the, on this uh, keypad and the box would take off and go to the next place. So it was kind of a combination of a semi-truck um, delivery system, a postal system, and a, a trade system that took almost no real estate in order to have and to develop because it was up in the air, and um, you know, and, and it moved along above trees. It had no obstructions, and then only came down close to the ground when it approached one of the family businesses. Um, that you know, there was there was communication, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, I, I, it was some other kind of communication. At the time, I I was not sure what these people were doing. I thought they were talking over their televisions. Uh, I realize yeah. now they were talking over their computers. Right, yeah. Um, so those were some of the things. Clothing was a little bit different. Um, the first order of education was teaching children to survive in the, in the natural world, and then to worry about reading, writing, and arithmetic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. When advanced education came along, you sent your child to a family that was engaged in a particular kind of advanced engineering or advanced scientific study. A lot of research into consciousness. That, that was a major thing, actually. Everybody was researching consciousness and what you could do with various frequency levels. Mm. And they were sharing that on the internet. Medicine was different. You put your a little drop of blood on a little plate-like thing, and you slid it under this laser sensor, and it would diagnose everything going on in your body and tell you what you needed to do, and give you a printout of where you could get any supplies you needed. There was a 
a thing that you, a table that you laid on, and there was a, um, this plate that slid under you and another plate above you. That plate was your individualized body template with all your individualized chakra centers, and there were quite a few. And then they would turn this thing on, and the, there would be these lights that drilled down through you from one plate to the next, or maybe up through you, and would reset or retune your chakras and move you back to really excellent health. And, um, and death was something that you decided was time to go, that you were going elsewhere. It was not, it was very rarely was it sickness or that kind of thing. Parenting was a group effort. You did not own your children. Um, there was amazing support for, you know, a new mother who gave birth. So lots and lots of changes, lots wow. of things very different. So I want to refer the listeners to Penny Kelly's books, Robes, A Book of Coming Changes, and Consciousness and Energy, Volume 4. And then I want to spend like the last three minutes of our interview talking about uh, what what can we do and and how do we develop our consciousness? Is this the key to uh, changing our future? What what do you want? Yeah, to I think yeah. it really is. Um, we have the reality system and the situation we have here in the U.S. because this is an expression of the consciousness that we have. So one of the things I think it's in the back of Volume Four. I have. Oh, actually, I just uploaded a little. Um, 10-page booklet that says how to develop your consciousness um, and onto my website. But one of the first things that you have to do is to move away from programmed responses. A mm. lot of people do not have or are not aware that they're just, they're just responding in ways that, um, that they have observed other people responding. You have to get away from that programming and detach a little bit, enough to see and hear and feel what's really going on. And then I tell people, start communicating with, with nature. Start communicating with the things that you have brought into your life. That includes your car, your house, your, you know, your salad that you're making for lunch or mm-hmm. dinner, because everything is alive. And it's responding. Humans are the only ones that aren't cooperating in that communicative conversation. And it's time we rejoin the conversation. Wow, I love that. So this is Loretta Brown. My guest today has been Penny Kelly. Her book, Robes, A Book of Coming Changes, Consciousness and Energy, Volume 4. And I just want to reiterate something. Um, Penny said she just uploaded a PDF called How to Develop Your Consciousness. And you can download it at her website, which is consciousnessonfire.com. Woohoo! Wow. That's yeah, awesome. And Loretta, let me yes. say that that little booklet is called The 17 Pointers. Ah, there's 17 okay. ways. Okay? The, the, Just so it's clear. Say that again. It's called what? The 17? It's called The 17 Pointers for Expanding Consciousness or something like that. Thank you. Thanks for correcting that. Anyway, um, uh, blessings to everybody. Thank you again, Penny. Blessings to you. Get close to the earth. Kiss the earth. Kiss each other. And I'll talk to you next week.